Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 3 this morning. And while you turn there, uh, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've been coming for a while and you're like, who's this strange man with a little beard? It's still me. I just happened to trim my beard. Go ahead, stare, mock, just get it out of your system because I will walk off the stage if you make fun of me. Um, This morning we're going to be looking at uh, the will and call of God from 1 Samuel chapter 3. And you may be wondering how we're going to get there, and my plan is to unravel that to you. But when we contemplate the will and call of God, whenever we think of the will of God, this big majestic thing that God has that we don't have, or what it is that he's calling us to do as this big, mighty, majestic God, we can oftentimes become disillusioned in trying to figure out what the will of God is in the world, and in particular, what the will of God is in our lives. What is it that he's calling us to do? And I think a big Part of this difficulty comes from the fact that we live in a fame culture. We live in a celebrity culture. Our culture is constantly training us to put forth our best. Our culture is training us to live extravagant and upfront styles of life. But not just like any extravagant and upfront life, like we want to put forth our best. We want everyone to see our grandiose decorations. The, the, the clothes that we have, the wonderful, amazing vacations we take with our family, and by the way, how well-behaved our children are when we take those vacations. And so we put those things out for people to see. And, and as I was thinking, you know, there, there, there is at least going to be one person that says, why is Tyler always starting off his sermons with these things and talking about society and and social media, and the reason I I think that that's true, the reason I see in Scripture whenever we see these truths coming to bear on us and the challenges in receiving these truths is because in our culture, the loudest voice is what's acceptable in society. And so what we're combating as we look at the will of God and His call on our lives is, first and foremost, we have to put off what culture tells us is important, what it's feeding us, and what it is persuading us to take part in. And that is the grandiose things in life, always just being a person that lives in extravagance. And I'm not talking about having money and being able to do nice things. I'm talking about putting forth the appearance that the only thing in your life is extravagant. The problem is when we bring this to the Christian life, we can find it difficult to see and trust that the will of God is at work, when in reality we see that the circumstances of our lives are actually not so grand. Because what we end up doing is training ourselves to look to the grandiose things in life as an evidence of purpose and meaning. We train ourselves to look around and say, well, if God is working in my life, then big things will be happening. I'll be able to put forth my best self for everyone to see, and there will be no problems, and everyone will look at me and look at my life and my family and my ministry, my work, whatever it is you have, and there will just be these fireworks they see. The problem is when it comes to reality and we look at the life that we're actually living and we see the not-so-grand things, we can become disillusioned in seeing the will of God actually going forth. And so when we come here to 1 Samuel chapter 3, what I want us to see is that the author of this book, we don't know who it is, he's revealing a God who works out his will with quiet and steadfast resolve. No matter what your circumstance and no matter what is happening in his creation, he is a God who works out his will with quiet and steadfast resolve. So look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. 
And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he could not see, <clears throat> excuse me, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. In verse 6, And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. So just to pause real quick. I, because I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, because I believe that it is wholly true and without error, I believe that that's what Eli's response was. But if you've been a parent, you know what's going on in his mind. He's saying, boy, you better go lay down, and if you wake me again, I'm going to wear you out. Just so we're clear. We know that's what Eli's thinking, okay? Verse 7, Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet revealed, been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that's not a good thing he's going to do, by the way. Verse 12, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, that is Eli, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, be with us this morning. We need you. We need the power of your spirit to come on us at this moment and to anoint us for this task. I know that I am standing here in utter reliance of you, of your spirit to come and to give me the words to say and, and what it is you want us to see from these scriptures as we are to live as your people. And God, not just to know what we can do, not just to know how we can walk out of these doors and live a better life, but that we might in our living see you more clearly, see who you are, see your steadfast will working out in the world and that we might bring glory to you, that we might bring glory to you as we know that you are at work and as we communicate that to the world. Lord, help us now in this task. We need you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the question that I have for us this morning, it's really a multifaceted question, and it's this, what are the evidences you look to in order to discern discern whether God is at work in the world or whether he's at work in the life? What are the evidences you look to in order to discern whether God is at work in the world or in your life? 
and maybe a little more pointed, maybe a little deeper question. In what ways have you constructed a faulty view of God's will based on the verifiable data you're able to collect? And let me explain that. What I mean is, have you constructed these evidences in your life that say, God is at work because I feel good today, I feel important, I feel validated, I feel verified in everything that I'm doing. Or maybe you say he's not at work because I feel bad and unfulfilled and I feel unimportant in this moment and I feel no satisfaction in anything that I do. And so this morning as we look and examine the will of God, we have to ask honestly, what have I put up in terms of stipulations as to whether God is actually working or is not working? What are the evidences, what are the things that I look to in my life to see whether God's will is going forth successfully? And so this morning, I want to make two observations from this text to help us to discredit those notions of God's will, that He's working on the good days and that He's not on the bad days. And so the first observation is this, there's not a moment when God's will of decree is not being worked out as God intends. And so since we're talking about the will of God, I want to kind of define terms here first before we start, because you, you may not be aware that there is one holistic will of God, and yet that will works itself out in two different ways. The first is the will of decree, God's will of decree, His sovereign will in the world. And I've defined it like this for us this morning. The will of decree is God's sovereignly orchestrated plan and desire for His creation that comes to pass as God intends. It's simply God's intention for His creation that happens exactly as He desires. And this is known as God's hidden will. It's the will that we aren't privy to. It's, it's the next thing God is doing that He doesn't have to tell us. It's the next step in our life that he's already working out that he doesn't have to explain is happening to us. So that's his will of decree. And the second is his will of command. And this is the one I think most often we are kind of confused about and we're trying to figure out for ourselves, especially in our personal life as believers. And the will of command is this. It's God's sanctifying desire for his people revealed by his word. And so this is the visible will of God for His people. It's the commands of Scripture. It's everything that He has laid forth. It's the, it's the path that He has paved the way for the believer to walk upon. It's, it's, it's simply to put off sin and put on the righteousness and holiness and godliness of our Creator. And yet that's not always so easy. And, and when we find ourselves getting into that, we say, okay, well, what about that will for my life? What, what is it that I'm supposed, I know that I'm supposed to be growing in holiness, but what does that look like lived out? What does it look like in terms of finding a husband or a wife or, or wondering how to raise my children or wondering what the next step is for retirement or any given number of questions we can have? All of those things come back to understanding the will of God. And so I think as we are here in 1 Samuel 3, we get a very clear picture of God's will. And first off, here in, in, in chapter 3, verses 1, I think we get a clear insight into the character and nature of our God, our Creator, and His, His will, how His will works, what His will is. Verse 1, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. I think to understand God's sovereign will from this text, we have to understand contextually what is happening. And it's all set up in, in chapter 3, verse 1 with, in those days the word from God was infrequent. It was rare to hear from him. And so the context we're coming from in, 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 in 1 Samuel 1 and 2 is the fact that we're introduced to Eli, this priest, and these two scoundrel sons he has, Hophni and Phinehas. And we learn as the Scriptures go on into chapter 3 that these two sons of Eli's, also priests, they're taking advantage of the people of God in their worship. They're perverting the worship of God on behalf of the people of Israel. They're here and they're, they're working in the temple. They're taking advantage of, of 
Israel sacrifices to the Lord. They're taking more of the people's sacrifice of meat than what they should. It also goes so far to tell us that they're taking advantage of the young women that work in the temple. They are, they are sexually immoral, these two sons of Eli. These, these two sons, along with Eli, who are to represent the people of God, the children of God, to their God. And so this is a dark moment in God's people's history. They're not hearing from the Lord. And the temptation that they're faced with is to see all of this stuff happening, all of this sin before them, and God is not acting. And not only is He not acting, He's not talking to them. And so the temptation of these people as we're coming into this text must be God has forgotten us. All of the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob to raise up a people amongst all of the peoples of the world, to choose them amongst all of the peoples and to give them what is good and to bring them into relationship with him. He's forgotten. And all of those good desires of God, his will for us, it's not going to happen. But what I want us to see is in the midst of this, in the, in the midst of these two sons, in the, in the midst of this perception of inaction on God's part, parallel to that is a storyline of God's steadfast and quiet outworking of His will. Because we're introduced in the very beginning to this young man named Samuel. And as all of these great big things are happening as all of these bombastic styles of life from Hophni and Phinehas are happening as everyone's seeing the sin on display. Quietly, the Lord is raising up a young boy named Samuel. He's taking this young man and Eli has brought him in and he's just quietly working in the temple to his God. He's there and he's faithful. He's not making any noise. He's not on display for everyone to see. And right in the midst, as we read this text, as, as New Testament believers, as we're seeing all of this unfold, what they didn't realize in the midst of their dark moment is that God was acting all along. That directly parallel to the darkness, directly parallel to the, to the temptation to believe that God's will is not going to successfully happen, God is raising up this servant. And so the observation we can make is that the redemptive work of the Lord, the fact that He is not going to lose any of His children, the redemptive work of the Lord is often not noisy and dramatic. You need to hear that. The redemptive work of the Lord is often, most often, not noisy and dramatic. That's what we want it to be. That's what our culture trains us to look for. The grandiose, the bombastic, the extravagant in life so we can prove that God is faithful. And yet here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, in the context of this this history of Israel and their worship, when things look the darkest, God is quietly at work. He's working to their good, and His will has not been thwarted. And so the, the reality for us is that we need to fight the urge to highlight the extravagant outworking of God's will in our lives and overlook the quiet ways in which He's working. We need to fight the urge to long for and desire the extravagant evidence that we can have of God working His will out and look to those quiet moments that God is surely working out His will for our good. I've heard it said that growth seldom makes noise. And that's certainly the case as God is growing up this young man, Samuel. Growing up this man, and if you've been in church, you know what Samuel goes on to do. 
You know the life he leads in Israel. You know the good that he does in in turning Israel's worship around and even walking through them with getting kings to rule over them. And he's always there, steadfastly resolute in his commitment to the Lord on behalf of his people. And in the midst of this dark moment, that is what the Lord is doing. That's who he's raising up. And so while Hophni and Phinehas are on display for everyone to see as they are taking advantage of the people, and as I'm sure they are, they are getting people to come onto their side and they are tricking and taking advantage, the Lord is quietly cultivating his coming provision. And what is happening here, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment, but what God is doing is he's raising up a man to renew, to bring new life to the worship of Israel. That's really significant. But here's the question. How can we know that the will of God, that that, that his redemptive plan is being worked out as God intends? How can we know that this is actually successfully happening? When we went to Uganda last year on our missions trip, we had a few high school girls with us. And while there, they committed to learn uh, Luganda Sign Language. And so very, very quickly, most of them went over with the alphabet. They know all of the letters. And so they're signing with the deaf kids there at uh, the, the Deaf and Blind School in Busega that's, that's attached to King Jesus Church with Pastor Raphael. And so they're learning these letters And as they're learning letters, they're starting to construct sentences. And then they they realize very quickly that instead of constructing sentences and basically typing out with your hand all of these words, you can actually use signs for whole words. And so that was like revolutionary for us. And so we're just pointing around. We're like, what's what's that? And it's a tree, and they're telling you how to do tree. I forgot all of it, so I'm not going to do any of them. And they're like, what's flying? What's a plane? What's my name? And so they're learning all of these words, and they're just pointing to everything that they can see. It's like, how do you say rock? How do you say dirt? How do you say water? How do you say face? Like, everything you could think of. And so this one word comes up that's particularly striking to everyone involved. Everyone just kind of stops. And they look to to the deaf students, and they say, "How, how do you say thunder? How do you say thunder? And the students are like, what is thunder? What is that? And so then we're trying to explain to them how there are explosions in the sky that you can't see, which is freaky, (laughs) like to say the least. And what we learned is that the deaf students had never had an auditory experience of thunder. But as we explained it to them, what we realized is that didn't invalidate, invalidate its existence for them. They had never heard thunder before in their life. Maybe they felt the reverberations of, of the power of thunder. Maybe they felt vibrations. But they had never had an auditory experience. They didn't know what this boom in the sky was. But for them... Simply hearing us say, hey, this is something that happens, they believed. And what they, what, what they did, what they taught me that day, is that it's possible to believe in something apart from having the ability to verify it. When we look at the sovereign will of God and we wonder, This is particularly a hard moment in my life. How am I to know that things move forward with his plan of redemption? The reality is is that it's not for us to verify whether or whether or not that will happen because it simply is true and will come to pass. That's not the most satisfying answer for us because we live in a validation culture. Everything I put out on social media, I'm wondering how many people have liked it. And every now and again, I scroll past something and I think, I bet you saw that and you didn't even like it. <laughs> or someone will be like, hey man, I, I, uh, I saw that scripture. <laughs> Let's, can I be honest? Let me, maybe I'm confessing. I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm going to tell you. 
someone will be like, hey, I saw that scripture that you posted or whatever, you made a comment on something on Facebook, and I'm sitting there thinking, thank you, that's very kind. I see you didn't like it. <laughs> because, because this is what our culture is like. We live in a validation culture. Everything we put out, everything that is supposed to happen, we want it to be validated. We want to have some sort of sensory experience of it because we believe that our validation of something makes it true. And when it comes to God and His grandness and His will and His sovereign will going forth, He is not reliant on our validation. And so when it seems that God is quiet and far from His people, He simply is not. The reason we know this is because at this very moment, even from verse 1 of chapter 3, what we see happening, like I said, is God raising up this one man He's raising up this one man in the midst of their dark moment, in the midst of their perverse worship. He's raising up this man to bring new life to the people of Israel. And we know as we see this that this is pointing us without doubt to Jesus Christ. That not only is God raising up throughout history these men but they all culminate in the fact that he raises up this one man. That he all along, from before Genesis was ever recorded, from, for, from before the events in Genesis ever happened, and long, long, long after the events of Revelation will take place, God has been working to provide us with new life. The plan of God has always been, in every moment, Redemption of a people for the exaltation of Christ and the glory of his name. Genesis chapter 3 didn't mess that up. And neither will anything in your context right now or next week or the week after. There is no circumstance that you or I will face that will overcome the sovereign will of God because God, even in the darkest moments, has already provided the provision His children need and His name is Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we look and we see just... I mean, for these Israelites, this must have been really difficult. They have not heard from the Lord their God. And yet we see it and we know, you know what? There's something better coming. There's something even better than Samuel. Right? Just hold on, Israel. And yet for us, in those moments, it's really hard to look in the mirror and scream, hold on at yourself. And you should go home and do that today. Because God's will certainly and necessarily goes forth because He is God. And so the reality is that when, um, excuse me, the reality is that we will not be so quick to question whether God's will is at work in the midst of the dark moments of life if we will simply remember that God is quietly at work bringing all things to their final completion in Christ. We will not be so quick to question God's sovereign will if we will simply realize that God is bringing everything to its end in Jesus. For those of you who have looked upon Calvary and you have believed and you have had faith, you have confessed your sin and you have placed your trust in Christ Jesus over yourself, you have been provided everything. You need Nothing. You have no need. And so when we see the Hophnes and Phineases of the world, and we're wondering, how could this happen? Just this week, I learned of two professors that I know and that I love who were in immoral sexual relationships, one of which I sat under in seminary. And I loved that man. I still love that man. 
But it's in those moments where you can look and you can say, God, how could this man single-handedly destroy everything? How could this man single-handedly change my mind on missions? Because that's what he taught me. And I don't want to believe anything he said because of his life. And we can become bitter and we can see the, the, the bombastic things, the sin that comes up in life. And we can look to those things and find, honestly, more like validation in that than the fact that here's the reality of my life. Anytime something has come up, God has dealt with it. He's, he's delivered me. He has given me the provision that is mine. And here I stand today. we would just remember that Christ has already brought us everything we need. And so I think that this means that not one person whom God has sovereignly chosen unto salvation will be forgotten. And that means whether you currently are a believer or currently not, if God has sovereignly chosen you unto salvation, unbeliever, you can't run. And not only will he bring you into himself, he will provide you every single thing that you're longing for. He will give you your heart's deepest desire because your deepest desire is to simply find an object of worship. And what God is saying is stop worshiping yourself, stop worshiping your life, and place your affections on me. I will give you an outlet for your worship. And because of Christ, that will surely happen. Whether your faith is weak or strong, or even if it's non-existent, through Jesus, God has quietly provided the final provision His children need. Look with me really quickly. Just, just see this in Isaiah chapter 51. As Isaiah is, is telling the people of Israel, as he's giving them these prophecies, Isaiah 51 verses 7 through 8, he reminds them of this particular truth. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations." The, the, the reality is this, as we, as we look at the sovereign will of God, His will of decree, and, and, the, and the question of whether or not this will come about. Will God's desire to redeem all things happen? Or will something in history happen to overthrow God? Isaiah says, listen, God's salvation will go forth assuredly to every generation God intends. There will not be one person who finds themselves outside the sovereign will of God. From generation to generation, the will of God will assuredly go forth. It will march on through the ages. And the greatest thing for us as, as fallen sinful human beings is that the Scriptures are attesting to the fact that that happens whether we believe it or not. That happens whether we particularly feel it that day or not. God is working to the good of those who love Him for sure. So the final point is this. God's will of command is never as grandiose as we might envision for ourselves. This is like the point you don't want to, like you want to leave this one off, you just want to wrap it up here and just cut it off. God's will of command is never as grandiose as we might envision for ourselves. So we can't really study the will of God. We can't look at the sovereign will of God and not ask the question, okay, if God is sovereign, if He has a will for all things, if He is working all things to His glory, how do I fit in in that plan? What is he calling me to do? What is my role in this plan? And, and it's this. It's laid, it's, it's laid out to us in, in verses 2 through 10 as we look 
and move on in 1 Samuel chapter 3. We have these series of here I am statements. What, what God is doing as he is working out his will of decree, as he, as, as he is revealing the redemptive history to these people and to us as readers, he's cultivating a relationship with this young man. And he's calling this young man that doesn't even actually know him yet. And he's calling, and the young man is going to this old man who's definitely angry. I know it doesn't say that, but he's mad. And he says, here I am. And the old man says, no, you're not. Go back to bed. And two other times this happens. God is calling this young man. And the young man just keeps getting up and saying, here, here I am. I don't, like, who's saying my name? And then finally, Eli, the prophet, he understands what's happening. And he says, this is the Lord God calling you. This next time you are just going to say, here's your servant. And so he does this. And the Lord calls him. And the Lord commissions him. And then we see throughout all of 1 Samuel, this entire life he lives on behalf of God. And so what I want us to see when we, when we understand what is our place in this, how do we fit in the will of God, what I want to see is that this instance of God calling to him audibly is not a prototype for how God does that. So if you're thinking, this is great, I'm going to go home tonight and God's going to say, Tyler, and you're going to say, here I am, and he's going to say, you need to go to this college you're going to marry this lady, and you're going to have this many kids. Then you're going to get this job. Actually, you should get the job before all of those things. Get the job. <laughs> Sorry, parents of teenagers. That's not what I do in youth group. Get a job. Get out of your parents' basement. But this is not a model for God just making everything so clear and putting it in our face. And so we can, so we can end up having these grand experiences of, I know how everything works out in my life. There's never been a moment in my life when I haven't questioned the will of God or what he's calling me to do because he's made it so very clear to me. Well, if that has happened to you, praise the Lord because it is rare. What we're not supposed to see is a model of how God calls his people. What we're, what we're supposed to see is this man Samuel. We're supposed to see his example and his demeanor with which he submits to God's will and his calling. He simply hears the voice of God and he says, here I am. There are no follow-up questions. He's simply willing. He's obedient. He knows something's happening and he's making himself available to whatever it is. But so often, that's not what we want. We want someone to tell us, who am I supposed to marry? What's the best job for me? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to serve in the church or not? Well, that one's easy because you should. In particularly in children's ministry. <laughs> but but we, we want things to be so very clear. We, we, it's, it's almost like we feel like God owes us this, these like watercolor paintings for the way things will work out. And I think the reason that, that, the, that God's sovereign will and even his will of command outside of the fact put off sin and put on righteousness, right? Those little details of life in which we are trying to figure out his will for us. I think that sometimes they are mysterious. So we will realize we just need to stop and trust. To stop and trust that he will work everything out. That everything good he has intended will take place. And that even if I were to die, even if I don't get married, even if I don't have children, even if I'm homeless for my whole life, in Christ I've been given everything. And in the end I will be brought home and my provision will be had forever. And so I don't want us to see this morning that, oh well, Oh, Pastor Tyler, the youth pastor, while Brad's away, he's going to reveal everything to everyone. He literally expounded the will of God for everyone. It's not what I'm doing. 
And so if you came here this morning thinking you would walk away with a clearer picture, I hope you have a clearer picture of God's will. I hope you have a clearer picture of, of God's character and his nature in acting as sovereign. But, but I don't want you to walk away thinking now everything's figured out and now I know that the Lord is good and that he's true because I've got it all figured out. I pray that we would not be so bold to think that the, the will of God necessitates and needs our verification, that God somehow needs our validation. And so there's a warning in here too, though. Yes, we should be as God is, as, is calling his people, as he is putting forth his will in the world. We should be willingly obedient, right? We should model Samuel here, and we should model Jesus when Jesus says, not, your, not my will, but yours, right? Before you, Father, it's your will, not mine. Reveal it as you please. Help me to be faithful. But the other thing here, too, and, and, and it, it's kind of hard for us to see, and we, we kind of wonder, okay, well, does this thwart the, the will of God? In verse 14, God says to, to Samuel to tell Eli, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. The warning here, the danger, is, is slipping into a place of willful disobedience. Right? We're, not, we're not calling people to know for sure everything that God's doing. And if you're confused about it, then you're somehow unfaithful to God. That's not what we're saying. The contrast is exactly the opposite. Just be there and be willing and obedient. The warning, though, is for those who are willfully disobedient to the commands that God has made clear in Scripture. The many lists in the New Testament of saying, put off these sins. Stop being a gossip. Stop hating people in your mind, you murderer. The warning is to our character. You don't need to have everything figured out, but you sure better understand the things that God has made clear. Because anyone who willfully disobeys God, who hears God say, Samuel, Samuel, and says, Later, Lord, I'm sleeping. There's great danger in that. And so in one sense, yes, we want to be will, willing and, and obedient to God's word, but we want to make sure that we're not hearing God calling us to something and putting it off. Just a little longer, Lord. I'll get around to that someday, Lord, but not now. And so here's the, the observation that we're making about what is God's will for my life? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? What is he calling me to? Well, the most unsatisfying answer in the world is this. If we're to know what God's calling us, we cannot start with what's most impressive and most gratifying. This young man, Samuel, is called. He heeds this call. And the Lord said, all right, Samuel, thank you for your willing obedience. Now what I need you to do is I need you to go tell all Israel how I have judged them. I need you to go to Eli, Samuel, you young boy. I need you to go to Eli and I need you to tell him all the ways I have taken account and brought judgment upon his house. If we are to know the will of God for our lives, what he's calling us to, we certainly cannot start with what's easiest, with what's most fulfilling and satisfying and most impressive. We have to be willing to do anything. And so if you're here and you are plunging toilets for a living... That may not be the most satisfying work to you, 
But if you find yourself willing and obedient and you have heeded the call of your Lord and you are trying the best you can to discern his will, then I think you are bringing the most glory to God. I think God's call on our life, as Eli attests to, God's call on our life is always good, but it's never easy. Eli hears this young man say, hey, uh, I, I really don't want to tell you this because I am kind of scared of you. I'm pretty sure you're the one that gives the spankings and the discipline. But just so you know, God's really upset with you and your family's going to end. <laughs> could, could you imagine hearing that news from this punk that you trained, your apprentice, but Eli knows something about the will of God. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. And so how can I discern what God is calling me to do? How can I discern what God is calling me to do? Look with me at Romans chapter 12. As we end... The process for, for discerning what God is calling you to to, to, to discern what His will is for your life, to how you might do the things that are good and according to His will, that process is laid out in, in, in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Believer, the, the process for understanding what God is calling you to do, it's not necessarily to find the thing that's most fulfilling, that's most gratifying, that's most extravagant, The way we are to go about it is as believers to come under the Word of God and to be renewed by the Holy Spirit in our spirit and in our mind. Because when that happens, as you come to the Word of God and as, as the Spirit is working His Word into you, the very will of God, the desires for His people, the, the counsel of redemptive history, what is happening, the Spirit is trading within you this idealistic and extravagant view of God's will simply for the good and acceptable and perfect view of God's will. If you were to figure out what he's calling you to do, you must go to his word and you must let that word renew you. We must put away those, those experiences that we use to prove God is at work in the world. Put those things away because they're not true. God is surely at work. Whenever you look at your life and you think, man, my husband is just really not what I thought he was. I'm sorry, Chelsea. It's just the way it is. When you're tempted to look at those things and think, well, this marriage was, it's a sham. This can't be God's will for my life because look at all these other young couples who are married and they're doing these wonderful things. The Word of God doesn't view marriage like that. The Word of God doesn't take an account and give success based on that view of marriage. So here's the thing, it can't be reduced to an equation. For all of you analytical people, you need to rip up that list right now that you are writing. I know that you have two columns and that there are positives and negatives. Burn that thing to the ground. There's no equation to discern the will of God. It's discerned through our willing obedience in listening. The will of God for your life, believers, discerned through your willing obedience to listen. It's in our hearing from God in His Word and our talking to Him in prayer 
And in the midst of those two things, simply proclaiming, here I am. As I was studying, I, I, I came across this, this comment, really. It says this, 1 Samuel 3 is meant to arouse us out of our lethargy as it aroused Samuel from his early morning sleep. This morning, the Lord is calling us. Either he's calling you, believer, to continue on in, in, in pursuing the renewal of your mind, or possibly this morning, he's calling you to wake up and be saved. The question is, no matter which one of those people you are, are you listening? And if you're listening, what will your response be? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your will. We thank you for your sovereign control over everything. And we thank you, Lord, that it, it is not dependent on, on us to verify or validate those things. Because, God, you are simply at work providing for eternity. Even in the midst of our dark moments today, even in the uncertainty of not knowing whether or not I'm in the will of God or out of the will of God or doing the right things or that my circumstances are as they should be or that I'm in the right place or the wrong place, none of those things change the fact that you are faithful and you are good and that in Christ you have already provided everything that we need. And that in providing Christ, you have taken Him and you have seated Him on your right hand. And in taking Him, have given us your Spirit to work your will in us. Oh Lord, let us be willing, let us be obedient to hear from you and be willing to submit ourselves to you wholly. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray these things. Amen.